You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What the heck is going on, Nobed.Garmi? Thanks for joining me as always. Um, this is a good podcast about doggy daycare. So we get a lot of questions in particular about what's the best exercise for your dog, what's the safest exercise for your dog. Um, is doggy daycare a good option? Is a dog park a good option? Is leaving my dog home a good option? So we talked to, I talked to a couple people who are opening up a doggy daycare. And so at, towards the end of the podcast or in the middle of the podcast, however you want to look at it, you'll hear us talking about that. Um, so there's a full kind of episode on that in this podcast about the things that I did because for those of you who don't know I also have a doggy daycare um, separate facility but like I said it's kind of its own thing uh, outside of training uh, but it was where we used to train so now that facility that we used to train at is now just doggy daycare so we I answer all the questions about how to keep it safe uh, how, how I started it um, the things I've done to make it successful and so on and so forth so but before we get into that, I want to talk about is doggy daycare a good, a good option? And if you guys are thinking about doggy daycare, it's there's it's really about the facility that you go to. And that's really, for me, that's what it comes down to. Because I've realized over the years that there's some really terrible businesses out there, period. Not And again, not just in the dog business, in, in every business. The hamburger business, the tattoo business. I mean, there's just really good people who care and do a really good job. And then there's people who don't period. So same thing with dogs. And, uh, you really just want to make sure that the people that you're trusting your dog with, um, the biggest thing is making sure that they, they vet the dogs that are coming in. That's one mistake I see a lot of people making, which you guys are going to hear in this podcast a little later on is making sure that they do a behavioral test. So if they tell you that you don't need a behavioral test that means nobody else needs a behavioral test excuse me and that's not good so you just you need to make sure that there is an evaluation that all the dogs go through to make sure that they're going to be good in a in a daycare atmosphere 
uh, also making sure that the people in the yard aren't overwhelmed. So just take a good look at how many dogs there are versus how many people there are. And that's something, you know, that you have to have a good ratio to. I'm not going to say what the right ratio is because, to be honest, it depends on the group of dogs that's in there, how good they are, and it depends on the, the people that are in there and how experienced and how good they are. But typically what we do in our facilities, we have two people in daycare for every, like, 15 dogs. So for every 30 dogs plus, we have two people. Now, 27 of those dogs are going to be great laying down, playing, laying down, playing, and then there's going to be some rascals out there. So just making sure again, you know, cleanliness is 75% of daycare, picking up after dogs, the amount of people that have come in to work doggy daycare and realized it's literally picking up poop and spraying things down and <laughs> all that. It's, it's really, it's a daycare. I mean, and that's what it is, but we're 30 dogs. And so it is fun. The dogs have a good time, but you just have to remember um, there's some things that can go wrong. So again, you know, we've made mistakes. We always do. I, I try to point out that mistakes are important in life, especially when you're running a business, because that's how you get better. If you're not making mistakes, then you're probably not getting better. So I again, like doggy daycare is great. It can be great. It's a great outlet for the particular dog, but you have to be vetted. There's a lot of dogs who also go into doggy daycare settings that don't do well. It's, it's very overwhelming. There's 30 dogs coming at you to meet you and say hi, unless your dog is like really super social and passive. It's, it could be, it could be challenging. So again, you know, just get, go to somebody that you trust. Uh, we, you know, we have a wait list for our daycare. So if a dog isn't having the best time of their life, we just tell their owners, Hey, this isn't working out. They don't love it. And that's it. So, you know, there, again, alternatively, there's people that will just say, and it happens locally here all the time. We hear these stories all the time. Um, that, so I know it's happened in other places, you know, the dog doesn't have a good time. They sit in the corner and they're stressed the whole time, but the owner of the company just wants that $40 a day from you. So for us, you know, again, it's not worth it. It's like our second business that we offer just because we're the biggest, we have the biggest outdoor area for, um, our daycare. And I know it's a really good service and we like to see dogs happy and playing. So, um, anyway, that's that, you know, that that's important. So just remember like if, and the other thing is, is if your dog doesn't like daycare, that's okay. I would say it's a 50, 50 shot, uh, if your dog likes it or not, because it could be a very overwhelming place. So daycare is good. Um, if your dog doesn't do good at daycare, you can do a dog walker. Um, that's, that's an alternative. That's what I used to do before I was a trainer. Uh, it's a great alternative if, and that's how I got into behavior in particular. I was working with a lot of dogs who couldn't go to daycare because they were reactive or aggressive or whatever the case is. So, um, yeah, if you're thinking about opening up a daycare, if you have a daycare, um, this is just good business talk as well as, uh, kind of behind the scenes about daycare. If your dog goes, um, from a company who's starting a daycare, talking to me, and I've had a daycare for five plus years and it's, um, you know, staffing is really important too, but we're going to get into all that. But before we do, I'm excited. We just, um, we, uh, have a, it's, we're going over to the UK next month. So I'm excited to get there. All the link in the tickets and everything is in the description below. So hopefully we can see you guys over there. We're excited, uh, to come back again for the third year. I think next year we'll probably take uh, a year off, um, and come to the area, but not do a seminar. So this might be the, the, 
uh, last seminar for a couple of years. So hopefully we can see you guys over there and, uh, we're excited to get over there and help you guys out with your dogs. So, uh, we'll talk to you at the end of the podcast. Cause I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. Uh, so if you have questions and you're listening to this, please head over to the iTunes review chart, leave your review and your question in the review and I'll answer it next episode. Talk to you at the end. So what's going on? I think to start off with, we are just starting up a company uh, where we offer daycare services. We're hoping to offer then in the future boarding, training, and grooming services. And with daycare, we wanted some insight from you in regards to kind of our, our temperament evaluations, our intake processes. And I'd love to get some feedback from you on what your non-negotiables are for evaluations when it comes to eligibility versus ineligibility. Um, Dominic is our trainer here, and um, he hasn't worked in a group play experience before, and we thought that it would be really useful to get some insight from you because we feel like we might be a little, we're trying to be cautious, but also where is the boundary of overly cautious, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh it's a good thing to be asking because there's places who don't and you know it's it's uh it's unfortunate so for us when we started our daycare it was very grassroots very um like backwards i would say because i i find i used to tell people all the time like i find that a lot of people who open up daycares are, are people who aren't really in the dog space they just love dogs and they just think oh well if i just open up a daycare i just get to play with puppies and rainbows and butterflies all day and you know and we all know that that's that's not the case so um there's a lot that goes into it that makes it successful but to answer your i think i know the non-negotiables i remember that that particular part and i want to cover that first so as far as our evaluation process goes, we we don't ever just throw a dog in, obviously. Um, what we do is we pick out a demo dog. So we'll have a dog that is very neutral, but it, like truly neutral. So there's a lot of – so let me define neutral because that could be, I think, subjective. Uh, neutrality – Tom, can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. Can we record this just so that we can keep it on file? Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Thank you. That would be so helpful, please. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. Good. We should be recording now. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, getting a neutral dog to do your demonstrations is really important. So uh, for an example, like we have a dog, I, I'll be honest with you uh, and transparent. I haven't been in my daycare in years. Um, it's a completely separate business from everything that I do. Um, I have two managers and it's kind of a self operating machine. I don't, I don't, I don't a need to do anything and B I don't do anything because I have, you know, everything else going on. But when I was, I mean, I was, my wife and I were both in daycare, breaking up dog spats and picking up poop. And so it was something that I was involved with for many years before, uh, I ever got to even hire somebody to be in there. So I did put a lot of my time in there and I definitely paid my dues with it, but I haven't been in there in a while, but we used to have this dog in there. And I, and I say used to, cause I'm, I just don't know if he's still doing our, our evaluations, but he was a golden retriever named Peyton. And by neutrality, it means 
I will engage and play with you, but if you tell me, as in the other dog, that you don't want to play or you're not interested in playing, I will immediately retract out of the situation and move on. So they're not can. So if you get an overly friendly dog, a dog, uh, let's say like, I'll give you a perfect example to be general. Let's say it's like a seven month old boxer or something like that's a dog that's going to come at you and then come back at you and then come at you and then come back at you and come at you and then come back at you. And if the dog that you're evaluating isn't a friendly, that's not going to be good. And I'll get into how crazy that sounds in a minute of like, well, they're on a daycare eval. Of course they're friendly. That's not always the case. Uh, and then B, it also, it's un, it's unfair for a dog who is nervous in the first place because it takes some time for dogs to come out of their shell. Um, so if you get that neutral dog, that's like, Hey, do you want to play? And the other dog's like, nah, not really. They're like, okay. And then they walk away and just hang out with you. That gives you a good opportunity to have that dog like open up a little bit and kind of crack open. And cause sometimes dogs need a little bit of time, need a little bit of space to acclimate and to start being themselves. And so that's the first thing is getting yourself a neutral dog to do, to do evaluations is important, but that's my definition of neutral because that matters significantly. So there's that. Um, and that usually goes on to get granule. We'll bring a dog in and we'll probably do the evaluation for 10 minutes at the most. Like it's all it takes. Sometimes it's 30 seconds where they both play bow and then it's gangbusters and you're like, okay, cool. It's all I needed to see. Uh, sometimes it's a little more than that, but to be honest, it's either your dog has to really want to be here to be here because a, again, you know, the service is, is widely offered and, um, it's, it's a waitlist thing game for us. So if your dog isn't like having a, the best time ever, then we're going to ask that you find an alternative because it's not worth it. You know, we want the dogs to really be like that, you know, that perfect play bow, let's play all day, tongue hanging out like dog. They don't have to be, but you know, it's just, that's really what we are looking for. We're not looking for a dog that's like kind of committed to this. Although in the beginning we did, we, that's, we took a lot of stuff because we didn't have any dogs. So if they were kind of committed, we, in our head professionally, it's better for them to be with us than in a crate at home. So, but as we started to accumulate more clients and stuff, then we realized, okay, this is overwhelming for this particular dog. The playing field is changing, so on and so forth. So that's the evaluation process. Like I said, uh, 10 minutes at the, at the most, usually we have a gate that we have and the dogs can see through it. So it's a very simple step-by-step -step process. The owners are typically not around because they do all the wrong stuff. So we say, yep, you're not going to be here. You're going to be outside. Dog's going to come in. They're going to meet at the gate. And we use the gate for safety for our neutral dog because the amount of people that, again, and this is ignorant mostly, not anything malicious usually uh, or negligent, but uh, people just don't understand 
dog behavior, period. And so when you get a dog that's friendly at home with your neighbor's dog that they've known since they were a puppy, and they just assume that when I go to have and do this meet and greet, it's going to be the same. And that's obviously not the same. It's like you having a conversation with your best friend since grade school. And then you having your conversations with a coworker at work. They just met like, yeah, you're going to be friendly and cordial, but the in-depth of the conversation and the relationship of the conversation and the heartbeat of the conversation are going to be wildly different. But dog owners have no, they, they have no idea what that is. They just see on the surface of their dog playing with the dog friendly. Therefore their dog is universally scalably friendly. So anyway, owners are outside quick little intro through the leash or through the uh, gate, sorry. And then if the dog is barking, growling, lunging, then we space them out for a minute. It's okay. And then we try it again. And if it's the same thing, then we just tell the owners to come in. We pull the neutral dog back and we say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't a good fit. And then it's very binary at that point. Oh man. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then, and then we suggest a dog walker or, um, you know, an alternative, I guess. And then if it is a fit, you know, then we go through our paperwork. Um, the next step, if it does go good, is we open the gate up and then we allow them to play. But again, like having that perfectly neutral dog is going to be like, hey, what's up? And then they're going to read that other dog. And if the other dog cold shoulders them, they're going to be like, I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to, I'm good. Like I, I can read the room. Um, and that's pretty much our evaluation process in a nutshell. I mean, if you have any questions on that or if you want me to, get into that again do you do you assess temperament outside of just how they react socially like how they respond to people or is that kind of automatic as they come through the door or what's yeah the process for like that's a great dogs? question yeah that's a great question yeah that 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 is something that obviously you have to have because there is a turn we can go over an employment after that because that i think the number one thing to a successful well, probably any company, but one of the hardships that we have dealt with in our companies in general has been turnover rate and employment. And obviously working with a group of dogs, you know, the dogs have to know the people, the people have to know the dogs, etc. So for us, it's pretty much a shoe in of like, if you're bringing a dog in for daycare, they're going to, they're not going to be aggressive towards people because it, it's like, they don't want to be there. You don't want to be there with them. It's like, this isn't training. This is, you know, this isn't that. So, you know, because training, it's like, that's our job is to, is to mismatch. So I would just say, um, yeah, definitely with people, it's okay if they're like, like, we don't care if they're, uh, not super friendly and outgoing with people. And we don't care if they're by our feet, wagging their tail, submissive peeing on themselves, but they can't be aggressive or like they could be kind of weirded out because we have dogs. You know, I have, I've had personal dogs in my past that have been like, I don't know you. So I don't really mess with you. I don't really, I'm not gonna, I don't, but I love dogs. And th those two things can be very, very, very separate, like very separate. Like there's dogs that I have, like, I don't know if you've ever like watched a video of mine in depth, but we have a Malinois at my facility that hates new people, but like is the most neutral dog ever. And so, you know, that's a very, I, I, we know that from experience that 
we can have a, we can certainly, definitely, and I can confidently say that we can have a dog that is the best dog for other dogs, but is a danger to other people. But when we're in daycare, no matter how big you are in the daycare space, if you have a thousand dogs a day, or if you have 20 dogs a day, you're going to have new people in there. And, you know, the safety of the dogs and the people have to be number one. And so that's where we, we will never have a dog that is aggressive towards people, but is a good player because it's just not worth it. So how do you gauge that? And I do, I have seen your videos. Are you talking about Hawken? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he seems pretty cool. Um, but I, how do you gauge, I guess, when there's an issue with people? Because there's some dogs that come in. Um, who are a little more unsure, but eventually start to warm up. Where is that? Where's that gauge, right? Yeah. Well, the spectrum is dangerous or nervous because those are two, two separate things. And if, and again, if we have to look at the bigger picture of when you're running a dog and this is, this is the cool thing about us is because we started, we only have a doggy daycare because we have, we had and have the real estate to operate it. Again, most people who start a doggy daycare, that's their bread and butter and or that's their only service that they really offer. So for us, we had a huge advantage because organically we were like, we're trainers, we're a dog training company. But, and again, this was, I don't know, six, seven years ago. So this is like right when we started, um, when it was just literally me, like it, it was only me. I only had one person and me, Uno. I was doing the training and starting the daycare. Um, so it, again, it's 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 about what you're trying to really offer in the objective of your company and your service. And for, so for me, I always just knew that the benefits of a dog being in a social structure and to play with other dogs instead of sitting at home, A, in their crate, or B, by themselves, you know, bored. And then, you know, it kind of rolled into dog training because, of course – the clients who sat at home by themselves were the same clients that had to come in for dog training, but I could one hand washed the other because we don't, we won't even do dog training unless they have adequate exercise because it's pointless. That's just like walking into a personal trainer and they're like, I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to pay you to do it, but I'm not exercising. And you're like, Oh, well this isn't going to work because you can't do one without the other. So anyway, my, my daycare when it started was very uh, complimentary, complimentary to my, my dog training. But if they're a little nervous with people because we have those dogs, that's okay as long as the uh, the, um, the the dog playing and the interactions and the social the structured socialization outweighs that skid- skittishness by far. Um, and and to get granule again and to zoom in again, as long as the dog doesn't ever transfer to then you know being protective or aggressive. Or just dangerous to themselves. Again, if you get a dog in, and we've had these dogs, and we've learned from mistakes. So the things that I'm saying, you know, have have probably happened to us because that's how I think that's how anybody runs a successful company is you make mistakes to go, okay, we're not doing that. That's why any company in the world has rules and regulations. Anytime that you see a sign on the door and you're scratching your head like, okay, it's because that happened. You know, that happened somewhere that you know to to most people. It's like common sense, but it's just policies put into place because that had happened before. So we've had dogs that have tried to scale our fence because they were terrified of, you know, new men and we hired a new guy and or whatever. And that's where it's like, okay. So you just have to look at the 
the bigger picture and make sure that the fun of daycare is out outweighing any type of stranger danger by by far they're not sitting in the you know in the corner shaking nervous so um what protocols did you have for dog fights like what plans did you have around that what tools did you have on hand and like what did the staff keep on person for those kinds of situations yeah that's a great question so in my experience dog fights you're gonna have you're going to have somebody that's going to step in and then there's somebody that's going to freeze. And that's, there is no in between usually, um, in my experience. And so dog fights are inevitable in general. Um, I mean, there's a whole ladder of that, but inevitable in general, inevitable when you're working with dogs, inevitable when you're doing daycare. I mean, it's just, it's just going to happen. Um, some of, some of, some of which are more serious than others. And then, also too, I'll just say that the way that your staff and the way that you handle dog fights is the difference between a little tiny, like this is my water playing hole, or this is my whatever chair. No, it's not. Okay. Screw you punch in the face. Hey, knock it off. All right. Whatever. Versus like an, an actual, like full on, like full crazy pack like stuff. So to answer your question, it's like me explaining to you what you're going to do if your car, God forbid, were to spiral out of control in a snowstorm and go off the road. Whatever I say right now, you're not going to think of when it happens anyway because your adrenaline's pumping through your your body and a lot of people just like kind of black out and don't – they just don't know because it. it's violent. It can be violent and scary. Yeah. And so – to answer your question, that's that's always what I tell my staff is like, look, I'm going to give you protocols and things of what to do. Um, and, and the best thing that I've done with dog fights is just separating the antagonist because there's usually a antagonist and then there's usually a dog that's either passive or, well, you're not going to just, you know, hurt me. I'm going to fight back. So pulling the back legs out is the best way to break up dog fights. In my experience, it's the only thing that's consecutively and consistently worked, especially when you get a dog that actually latches on um, and doesn't want to let go. Pulling the back legs out, I'm sure there's 10 different reasons of why that works, but I'm not going to act like I know all 10 of them. I just know that it throws them off and they 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 let go, and then that gives you an opportunity to kind of pull them away. Um, we also have air horns in the, in the yard. Um, but the, but really what it comes down to is being more proactive instead of reactive. I think that that's the biggest thing that we try to do is just know your behavior, uh, know your dogs, know your situations, know your social structures. Uh, so, you, yeah. you know, my the people in my daycare are just so good at, oh, well, Maverick is definitely going to fight with Phoebe for sure. So they're not going to be together today. And maybe tomorrow Maverick can be out in this play group because Phoebe's not here on Tuesdays. So, but then on Wednesdays when Sophie comes in, that's going to change up this dynamic. So, and once you get that, you know, staff, and that's what I mean is like daycare staff are some of the hardest working people you'll have like in the dog space period, because, um, but there, it's also, in my opinion, just as rewarding sometimes as dog training, because 
you're just kind of, I mean, there's no better dog school. There's no better behavioral school. I mean, what you see in there is, is invaluable to learn about dog behavior. So it kind of like scratches both ends. So anyway, yeah, so we have air horns. Um, we give protocols, uh, safety protocols too, like making sure that you walkie for help if there is one. But for me, like, and again, like I am such a natural in what I do, uh, with dogs. It's, it's like second nature to me. It, 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 you know, nobody taught me how to do anything really. I just like everything of what you see is pretty much just like, it just comes to me naturally. So with that being said, when I'm in the building, I just know when something pops off, like the, 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 the smell of the air changes and I just stop what I'm doing. And I just know, you know, you can just hear it in the way that the whole building is. And so, you know, having, again, having those protocols of if something does pop off, making sure that they have the ability, A, for somebody that's in the offices to see what's going on, to jump in to help and be, and, and or the person that's in daycare or the persons that's in daycare have the ability to call for help if something does pop off, because that's probably one of the scariest things ever is if you're in a dog fight situation with 30 plus dogs and you got no help because you're just watching things happen that will traumatize you forever. So you just, you know, it's a safety thing. God forbid, knock on wood. Um, we've never had any serious injuries in our daycare. Uh, I think the biggest injury we've ever had in daycare to be transparent is these two dogs ran past each other and kind of like jumped up in the air and we're like, like kind of just barking up in the air, just being goofy. And one of the dog's ears got cut like the tip of it got cut off and it just went flying across the daycare yard. And that was like the biggest injury we've ever had because it was bleeding, you know, ears bleed so bad and we have it on film and stuff. And the owner is like a really good client. And she just was, she couldn't believe it. She thought like there was, she's like, there's just no way. And we're like, look, here's the video. That's exactly what happened. It was a freak accident. But anyway, so I'm just saying like making, and again, like your ratio too before I forget and or if you don't ask me again the ratios are really important to your daycare so we always have like a a 15 to 1 typically um which means 15 dogs to one attendant and because if you're um if your evaluation systems are done I mean 15 dogs that you've evaluated really like in depth or at least you know in general because some people don't at all like i've heard of daycares they don't evaluate all they just throw the dogs in they don't give a shit they just want a paycheck um so for us to have 15 to 1 after they're they've been through our filtration system of evaluation it's 15 dogs that you know aren't going to start something unless something really crazy pops off so that's another really big thing too because if you have somebody in there that's drowned by all those dogs and you have one person it's just you're just asking for something bad to happen. Um, and I say that only because again, like we started our daycare cause we wanted something to offer our clients during the day. Cause our clients don't come in for training during the day. They get off at five. So we trained at that time, like four to nine every day. And so, um, you know, we did it really right. We'd, we'd made sure like the dogs were safe and we would never do it. And we still wouldn't do it if it wasn't, like beneficial to the dogs and our clients. Cause we've, we've talked about like closing daycare down. Cause it's, 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 it's a separate building. It's a separate business. 
it's a whole it's a whole staffing. It's like, but I'm like, well, well, if somebody doesn't buy that company, like think about all those dogs who might have to sit at home. And that's to be honest with you, hundred percent. Like that's why we still have it going because it's just such a nice thing for the dogs. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely that we're trying to spearhead the exact same retention issue on our side by offering an apprenticeship program for anybody that's going to be working in the rooms with the dogs. Basically, anybody that's a playgroup attendant, their apprentices to become dog trainers is how we're hiring. And we're offering this apprenticeship program through Dominic. And then eventually what we'll do is um, they're going to be certified through the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's the only standardized kind of well-rounded i feel like testing that isn't really married to one specific training methodology um at least in my perspective so that's kind of that's what we're working on right now from that perspective but i think for me it's just figuring out how to be cautious without being overly cautious and to give you some insight we're connected to a veterinary practice that already has an established clientele base of like 4500 clients Hmm. so we already kind of have that set up on our side and i think it just Figuring out how we can be cautious, not overly cautious, because I hear you with what you're saying in the perspective that we don't want to make the mistakes of, you know, bringing in dogs that might not have the greatest of times. Mm -hmm. But how do we marry that and create a place where they, you know, where from a business standpoint, we're doing right by our team, by the dogs, but also just not... I don't know. I guess, are you catching where I'm going? I can tell you what our eval kind of consists of when we're doing our reports and our our scoring kind of for temperament testing and if that gives you a little more insight. Uh, I think, yeah, you can. I I just think that if you, if you have, if you have somebody that is, uh, you know, really mindful of the, the dogs and what they're, you know, like what's, what's in their benefit then that's all you, you know, that's all that really matters because as long as they know like, Hey, this dog is shivering in the corner, like this, let's go like call their owner. And that's the other thing too, is like, we immediately will like call owners and say, Hey, your dog's just going to chill up front with us. You know, when you get off work, you can come back. It didn't work out. Um, so that's important. And, and again, like you'd be so surprised how many companies would just not do that. Like, some companies would be like, well, how long do we just, like how many days do we let the dog sit in the corner and shake? And you're like, none, you just get them out. So I think you guys are definitely ahead of the curve on that. You're just doing everything right. Um, but it's a numbers game too, because the entry, because you know, when you, when you put business in with the animals, you got to have somebody that knows what they're, what they're doing with the dogs, because I've seen that too. I've seen people, you know, there's even local companies here that are like, I've met that people are like, you know, me and my husband just really love dogs and we're getting ready to retire. So we're going to open up a daycare. I'm like, okay, that could be like really dangerous if you don't know dog behavior, because it's not, it's not like what you think it is. You know what I mean? It's not like it's somebody's, somebody's dogs are in your hands. Like you got to know what you're doing. You got to know what to look for. You got to be professional about it. So you just have to make sure that the people that you kind of get, um, into your system and get into your staffing, you know, really knows what they're doing and know what to look for. Um, and then after that, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, don't overthink it where you're like, these dogs are definitely having fun. Let's get in the next one. But the pack changes, you know, the mentality changes. Um, the, the group of dogs change, the age of them change, the sex of them doesn't change, but it changes the group. Uh, and then the age of the dog 
depending on what sex they are, changes the dynamic too. So there's so many variables that you just have to go slow at. And that's like the beauty of like what we did is we went from, I went from doing in-home dog training for like a year and change. And then we got this little garage to train in upstairs in this abandoned warehouse. And we went from that to a 4,200 square foot training slash daycare facility. So we didn't have any daycare clientele. I had managed a, a daycare in the past. Again, you can also just, it's just what I do. Like I have no problem comfortably handling dogs and knowing what's right. So you just have to have that person that's comfortable with kind of setting the tone for the pack because that's where we're at now is it's kind of gone down the line where I started it. And then the, the person that I trained way back in the day is managing it. And so there's always like my fingerprints on it, you know, of like what I expect, what to look for. So as long as your evaluation process is in place, like the, again, there's some places that just don't do it. They're like, yeah, bring them in on Wednesday and we'll see how the, see how it goes. And so anyway. That's really helpful. I think um, right now, because we're starting out, we're trying to do slow, focusing on quality over quantity. That's really what's important to us here. Um, mm -hmm. We're opening up her room. We started with dogs between, and we're separating them by size. And obviously we have to consider also personality type too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but each room is, we're setting a capacity right now for 15 to 17 dogs, two people per room managing that group of dogs. Um, and I think from that perspective, we're doing 40 to 70 pounds is like the first round because I feel like the larger dogs are probably going to be the ones that come in a little more than maybe the smaller group. And I think trying to mitigate that from a, from a business perspective and trying to figure out how we can make sure that, again, our primary focus is that the dogs are enjoying it, that they're getting something out of it. We're offering enrichment sessions for every single dog that comes in for daycare to mentally stimulate them too. Um, but then also making sure that we're doing right by the company as well, if that makes sense. Um, now, when we talk about evals, you said one neutral dog. Is that the only dog that you would bring in to, to eval with that potential candidate, or do you do different personality types? No, we just do one dog, but that doesn't, okay. that doesn't, you know, that again, that doesn't mean that you can't do multiple dogs. It, it, it's really like what you're comfortable with but we always just have done one because again, it's a very binary thing for us. You're either going to love this or you're not. And if you don't love it, then we're not, you know, we're not going to invite you into our program. So that's, that's what it comes down to for us. And and I, I should say, I think in the eval process, it's fair to say you're either going to love it or you're going to try to figure it out, but you're not going to be anything else than that. Like, cause I guess there are some dogs that are like, who are you? I don't, I don't really want to play right now, but like, let's go over here. Um, so there is like, there is a gray area of as long as the dog isn't behaviorally and mentally stressed in, uh, in any way, shape or form uh, about like playing with other dogs, they can be stressed about being in a new place, seeing a new dog, but like the idea of playing, we don't want them to, to not have fun with that. But um, yeah, so we, we just never have. And I'll also say this just, just because we have never, I shouldn't say that we, when I started off, I didn't separate any dogs by size. I never did. The only time that we separated dogs by size is if we got like the teacups in where like, 
they were just going to get stepped on by a human more than anything. That was like their biggest safety risk. Um, we never really separated any of the dogs by size, just because again, our evaluation process was so cut and dry of like, you're either going to be friendly or you're, you're not like, this is going to be fun for you or not. And if it's, and the other thing is, is you can go through an evaluation and be like, I'm not sure if you're going to have fun, but I know you're not going to be dangerous. So you're going to come in on Monday and we're going to trial you and we're going to watch you because we don't know for sure. We do know that you're not going to be aggressive, but we don't know if you're going to love it. So that's the other thing I would say too, is I just never in my head, I'm like, they're all, I understand the risks of like a dog getting into a dog fight with a smaller dog. But again, that should never happen you know, never say never. Right. But that, that shouldn't happen because like you have to do your, your homework on your eval. Um, so, but I mean, if you wanted to take another step, you could add a small dog into the eval to make sure that there's nothing else going on. But again, it's not like, you know, it's, it's pretty cut and clear for us anyway. That's super helpful. I feel like maybe there, even that tweak too is helpful knowing that you do just want, and I think that's a component that we might be missing is not having a neutral dog. I feel like we've done the overly friendly dog that doesn't get the picture. This dog doesn't want to necessarily interact or it's not, Mm -hmm. this dog is saying, Hey, give me space. And the other dog isn't the dog that we're introducing is not being respectful of that, which can cause a potential reaction or we just, I think that that might be a key component that I feel like we might be missing is really having a neutral dog that we can introduce as an eval dog. Yeah. And also just when you're doing the eval understanding that if that dog that's coming in for the evaluation snaps back at that overly friendly, non-neutral dog, like that's something that you have to just roll off and be like, Oh, that makes sense. Like that's annoying. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. That, that neutral dog is like, you know, we always joke about putting dogs like that on our payroll because they're our system. They're our system. There, and that's the cool thing about daycare is you can kind of like it's a very natural thing with dogs. You can just that's why you learn so much about dog behavior in daycare because they, you know, dogs are just like so raw and like you know animals, and it's cool to see them interact with one another. And that's where you really learn about dog behavior. That's where. Yeah that's where you learn about like natural dog behavior and how they interact. I'm like, okay, if this is how dogs interact and they understand this at this state, like that's how I started training dogs pretty much. That's how I started explaining to people how things work. So it kind of comes full circle, but again, it comes back down to that staffing, like anything else. It doesn't matter if you're a chef or you're a nurse or you're, you know, doggy daycare attendant. Like you have to have that person on the floor that has that good judgment call. Cause if they don't, you know, it could be bad. So that's, again, it comes back down to good staffing. One question I have about dog fights is I've seen a handful of them, but I haven't worked in a daycare setting in large groups. So I haven't seen like dozens of them, but I've seen enough. Um, what percentage on a large scale would you consider like mortal danger? Like how, how common is that in those kinds of settings? At least in your setting, like the with the with the um, the foresight you had, yep, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a good question, and I'll and I'll reflect it back to again, like the company policy, because there's, I mean, think about it, think about it like this: put it in a perspective as a business in general, not necessarily dogs, and think about the differences of of 
services in different companies, right? Like, uh, I just flew an airline this morning that I never fly, but I had to. And I was like, oh, this is different. Like, this is not what I'm used to, you know? And it was just different, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't good. You know, it was like poorly managed and the cleanliness and same thing with like, again, restaurants, you can, no matter where you live in your, in your world, there's going to be five burger joints in your town. So it's like, which one is managed, right? Which one is clean? Which one has good protocols, which, you know, things like that. So, so anyway, when we talk about daycare stuff like that, like it really is about, because my point is, is I know that there's companies locally here that have been shut down and even like sued because they just like keep piling dogs in and they have no idea what they're doing. They just want money and they don't, they don't, they don't see it like that. And then, and a lot of people, again, like you have to look at behavioral standpoints too. Like a lot of people who open up businesses and I get this and I, I have too much empathy, which is why I can never really stay mad at anybody ever or whatever. Like I don't care. Um, is, you know, some people like poured their whole life savings or possibly retirement into this business that they wanted to do with their partner. And, and now they've kind of come to the realization of like, we don't know what we're doing. So it's scary because they need the money because that's their thing and they have rent due and they signed a lease and X, Y, and Z. And so it is a tough thing, but uh, for us, it's not, it's very rare. Like I said, like I've seen, I mean, there's little squalls here and there, but nothing serious. Um, we've had a couple, I would say more serious fights and we've learned from those mistakes and put in policies to make sure that those things never happen again. And they haven't knock on wood. Um, and if they, you know, if they would have happened, I would have known about it at some point. So for me, for us and our company, as far as like how serious dog fights can be, it's always a factor. It's always a risk. It's always something that could be deadly. It's always something that could be, it should be in the back of your mind. Cause that's your job. When you're in daycare, your job is to keep those dogs safe, period. That's, that's your job. You're not there to, I mean, you can play and love and have fun, but your number one job is safety. So you gotta, you know, like a kid, like if I'm dropping my son off to your daycare, like you best believe like you better be paying attention to what the hell is going on because if you don't like, you know, and that's the thing about the different companies too, because dog facilities, there's so much unknown, like people don't know. I mean, how would you know? But with, but with, well, with kids, they come back and say, oh, well, they can talk in sentences and say how their experience was with Miss K and Mr. Whatever. And so that's the other thing too, is like, there's a lot of that going on. And and I've seen that personally, like locally, people just like have no idea what they're doing and dogs die and, and it's terrible. But so to answer your question, it's always a thing. Like there's always a, a component of safety and there's always something that can turn, take a turn for the worst. And that's why, you know, it's just a thing. It's just always there. And there's a lot of moving parts, but if you're managed right and you do your, you know, you do your due diligence and you pay attention, it's, it, it shouldn't be happening often. And if it does like learn from those mistakes, like you should be making mistakes because that's the only way you can get better. It's the only way you can tweak yourself. If you're perfect, then it's like, what's the point of going through life? You know, there's, there's, that's not what life is about. So that's the most important thing is when you do, when you, when those mistakes do happen, you have to make a mental note and say, okay, how can we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Gotcha. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like this has definitely been incredibly, incredibly helpful. And honestly, I feel like, um, 
overall, I think that you've heard this a lot, right? That what you've put out content-wise has really helped people start a certain business or whatever their passion, go behind, you know, whatever, yeah. pursue their passion. And you definitely were a big proponent in this. I was having stories all this time, issues with the shepherd mix that I inherited with behavioral issues and finding your information was a complete life changer for us. And I wanted to create a space where we could have something like that and offer that to people, um, you know, to create a safe space where they could work with their dogs and have programs that are tailored to specifically what their dog's needs are, not necessarily pigeonholing their dog into what people think that their dog is supposed to be and just accepting this is who your dog is and how can we work with your dog and meet kind of your goals overall. So I know that we're talking about daycare, but I did want to thank you for that because wouldn't have gone down this journey if it wasn't for you and what you put out there content wise. Thank you. Uh, Reed, I do have a question about intakes for daycare. One last one, um, resource garden. We test for that. Do you feel like that's something that we sh should take into a lot of consideration? As is something I was thinking about because we don't necessarily give them things. Right. Yeah. So we don't because uh, our team is moving constantly and there's nothing in daycare that, you know, we have a hose, we have a pool, we have, you know, some tabletops that they can jump on and stuff. But other than that, but again, like that question to somebody else could be completely different. They'd be like, oh, well, we only use Kongs in our daycare with peanut butter and not cheese. And so, <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like it's just context of, of that question. But for us, like, yeah, it's the same thing. Like we would never, like, I'm, again, like, you know, like the more you guys work with dogs and in the industry and, and even now you probably see this is like, you're scratching your head when people come in about experiences, other places, like, are you kidding me? So, uh, yeah. So yeah, we don't have anything into daycare that dogs would ever need to resource guard to, to any extent. So we don't test for that because it's just, it's not something that we're going to see. Okay. Okay. I have to hop out of here because I got to go cover my front desk, but I want to thank you. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Thank you so much for talking. I'll leave you here with Dominic. If he has anything else that he wants to chat with you about, but um, do you do, I saw that this, these meetings, it seems like they were very specific to owners and um, training related questions. And then also with trainers, do you do these sessions from like a business perspective or is this something completely separate? Cause I'd love to, chat about business if that's something that you'd ever be interested in doing yeah we do it's the same thing like when you sign up for this consulting thing it's your time i mean we can talk about like okay. grass if you want or like trucks or like whatever <laughs> it doesn't matter it's you're getting you're paying your time you know obviously i know more about dogs than grass and trucks so that's usually that but um yeah that that so as far as that goes um you know that that's like the option to to run through Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Good man. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, Dominic. All right, thanks, Jesse. I'm going to go cover back. Thank yeah, you. I'll see you in a bit. Okay. Um, all right. What else do I have? Um, something I'm struggling with is we have uh, only indoor spaces and we have limited amounts, and doing introductions can be really, really tricky because um, we can't take dogs outside here, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about these intros for evals, that room we have is smaller than this one. Um, it only goes like another couple feet that way off camera. Um, and I'm not quite comfortable just 
splitting dogs off leash, but creating a barrier makes it even smaller in there. And yeah, so long story short, I'm struggling with how to figure out how to introduce two dogs in smaller spaces. It doesn't seem like the math adds up, but anyway. Yeah. Um, well, we, to, yeah. So we, again, like what I was saying earlier is we have like a little tiny space for our our initial meet and greet. So it's like a three by three space. It's like our little corridor area with a gate. And that, that area there is the first step. That's our, that's our first step filter where the, the client's dog is in that little area. And then our neutral dog is, uh, we just bring the neutral dog up on a leash and come to that area. And then okay. from there, we kind of play that interaction out. And then if it goes good, then we kind of open it up to be bigger. So what you guys can do is if you wanted to, um, you, you could you could use like an X-Pen. So if you have that room there and you had an X-Pen, you can say like, hey, this is where we're going to put the client's dog in and then we're going to bring our neutral dog in and we're going to, you know, just let them meet through the, the fence there. So you can take a bare room as long as you have some space, like I know there's a lot of desks in that room, but if you have a room that has some space that doesn't have anything in it, that's all you need to get the dogs acclimated to one another um, safely. Again, and, and we're not talking about, because you have to separate the dog training from this, because if you're doing this as like a meet and greet on a behavioral side of like trying to figure out if the dog's reactive or whatever, like this is just, are you super friendly and want to play with us or are you not? And it's pretty clear to tell it's not like again the granule subtleties in dog training where you're watching every single molecule of that dog's behavior to see yeah. what's going on so it's a lot easier to just say like are you play bowing and wagging your tail and having fun or not okay gotcha um and what about introducing dogs who have like barrier frustration or leash reactivity i guess the leash problem would be eliminated by putting a dog in an X-Pen and then the new dog should be fine either way. Um, Yeah, I find that, yeah, I find that a lot of the dogs that have that issue is around, well, in daycare, it's never going to, if they're perfect off leash, then that's all that really matters. Because when you leash them up to bring them into daycare, they're not passing dogs at that moment you let them off and we have like holding cells so anytime that you come into our daycare yard we have a holding cell which is essentially let's say you walked into a yard or in a room there's another boundary that you have to get let into like a i don't know what's that vestibule yeah 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 that's kind of like what it's like is there's okay levies to like safety so that's one thing too is once you get a dog into that little space and you let go of the leash and then they're like okay let's play boom then you open up the door and then they can go run around so um yeah so the resource or i'm sorry the um that kind of barrier frustration and aggression and reactivity we don't we won't see in daycare because they're never you know like leashed up Okay, but even in those intros with like the fences and stuff, that's typically not an issue. No, I mean we definitely watch. We definitely watch for it. Um, it can be an issue, and if it's too much of an issue, then you know, then we just say, "Hey, this isn't this isn't working." So it it can be an issue. We just like again, like you have to have somebody that knows dog behavior of like, "Oh, this dog's just frustrated," or or not. 
and that's where you have to like know the barks and know the body languages and the eyes and the tails and the lips and the breathing and all that stuff. You just have to know like what type of reaction that is. Cause you'll get dogs that are in there like, let me out. I want to play. Let me out. I want to play. But they're barking hysterically or there's dogs yeah. that are like, get the hell away from me. So you just have to, again, like that's what I was saying. I think the, the main key is just knowing dogs. Cause if you don't know dogs, but you know, but you know, you have a good business sense or you have a lot of money, it's, it's not always, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Something I'm, I'm working on. I come from only a training background. I had never done anything daycare, never done anything group related and don't like dog parks, all that mm-hmm. uh, normal stuff. And then starting to work here, I find myself being super hesitant. And then also really contrary to what like the layperson's perspective on group play should be. So like being really restrictive, like we did a test run of demo dogs with uh, some of the vets in their dogs. Um, and it's like one out of three of them got rejected or something like that. And they were all super surprised and having a hard time with it. And that's, that's something I'm sure you're familiar with. Just like translating dog trainer yeah. interpretation of, of dog experiences to like a lay person, especially when they're trying to pay you money for something. Yep. Um, that projection is difficult. So it is, it is. And you just have to be, yeah, yeah. You just have to be upfront and just let them know, like, it's not the end of the world. Cause we've had people that, you know, are like devastated cause they're like, what? My dog loves other dogs. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe the dogs that your dog knows, but not here with a bunch of dogs they don't know. So yeah. Right. That's it. It's an easy, I mean, it's an easy conversation for us to have, but sometimes dog owners get really upset about it mainly because they're like, man, I really need my dog to be good here. I'm like, well, they're just not, they're not going to be happy. So you just find like a, like a dog walker. Like that's it. You know, like you just have to do whatever's comfortable for your dog because they're going to do more harm than good here. So just, you know, explaining to people if your dog doesn't do good. And I always tell people to be honest with you, I always tell people, having your dog be good in daycare is, is not normal. I don't think that that's a normal, like, I think, I think if you get like, think about it from a behavioral standpoint, if your dog is okay with getting into a group of 20 to 30 plus dogs and like, just loves it and they don't know these dogs, that's like, you got a unicorn. Like that's not normal. I don't want to say that's, that's, good or bad or anything like that. I'm just saying like, that's not normal. Um, because if we shifted our, our understanding of that, especially for dog owners who have dog reactive dogs, I think they would be less hard on themselves because they think if their dog's reactive or unfriendly with that many dogs, they're the problem. I'm like, no, I'm like, it's so weird to have that happen. The dog's like, yes, let's go. I'm like, that's crazy that, you know, the more I work with dog behavior, I'm like, that's, it's just strange. Like it's strange behavior. I don't think it's supernatural for that to like go on, but again, like your filtration systems. So one thing that you guys, um, I, we haven't talked about, but I think is the most valuable is what are the policies that I put into place after the mistakes that have been made. And the biggest thing is we don't take dogs after six months. If they're intact, either male or female because of incidences that have happened. Um, we've had numerous dogs, like very, like if there's a consistent thing in your company, that's where you have to address it. 
as management or even as an employee in general, like it doesn't matter what where you are on the ladder. She's like, hey, this isn't working with this. And that's where we had mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Um, you know, just dogs getting into fights or dogs, you know, it's just people, again, like don't, I think a lot of people, especially with males that have intact males over that six months mark, don't understand the social aspect of having a dog intact and what it does to the environment, especially if you have a more serious dog, because again, like you have such a big spectrum of dogs and behavior that you can get like the goofiest, silliest dog and they're intact and you won't see any behavioral differences. And actually we've gone through that, but that's not the problem. The problem is, is if they're not the problem, then another dog may find them as the problem. And we've seen that we had this Doberman in named Axel. He was our best dog ever. He's the best. Um, Owners were the best, just the best daycare dog, like five day a week client, which is big to a daycare. Um, And he just kept getting dogs just kept trying to get after him. And we were like, what the hell? And we just realized because he's like one of the only, we left him in daycare because, he was really good with dogs. Like he was just the best, goofiest, just the best. But he kept, he was a target. So we had to kick right. him out. He was our best daycare dog. We had to kick him out for his own safety. I mean, that was like, I still talk about it to this day. And that was probably five years ago. It sucked. Cause the owners were like, this sucks. I'm like, I know because your dog's perfect. We, we would use that dog as a demo, but because he just kept getting targeted by other dogs, it wasn't worth it. So that's, that's something that we right. learned over time. Uh, and f- same thing goes for females because having an intact female go into heat and daycare is like, nightmare. <laughs> Oh man, it's like bringing like a 13 year old to Hooters or something. It's like, they're like, what the hell is this? It's like a whole thing. You know what I mean? It's like the dogs yeah. just feel that energy and it's just, it's so natural too. And like, that's the thing is like, all joking aside, like it becomes a very dangerous situation because you get a female in heat. Like people need to realize that these are animals. These are they. These are in the animal kingdom. Like when a when a female goes into heat, some dogs will do everything they can to breed, and they'll fight, and they'll and and sometimes too. Like even if again, like I'm just kind of reversing policies on you a little bit. Even if you have, let's say, a seven month, eight month old, nine month old female in heat but you have a four month old intact dog and the four month old dog doesn't really fit the criteria of like, well, they can still be here cause they're not sexually mature yet. But depending on the breed and the size and the personality of the dog, they can still get protective. Cause they're, they're sitting there like, I think I should be doing something here. Like I think something should be happening and they feel a certain way and, and yeah. And then it gets like, it can get very hostile really quick. And you're thinking like, well, she's just a puppy. She's only eight months old, but, but oh yeah, crap, she's in heat. And it's like, what does that do to the dynamic? And it does a lot to the dynamic. And so that's one thing I just, I would say that's our, that's my biggest thing that I would tell you guys is that's something that we learned is time and time again, like any dog after six months just couldn't go to daycare unless they were fixed because it just created so many problems. That's the same policy we have here in uh, neutered after six months, neutered or spayed after six months, and I can very much appreciate that. I got a 18-month-old German wire hair pointer who sweetest dog in the world. He just gets into trouble because, just like you were talking about, he's intact, and other yeah. people have or their dogs have issues with it. And I'm like, well, yeah, man. It. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's like a it's a different thing. That's what I mean. Is like that's why I kind of like I'm so. 
I, I, I'm so eager to talk to dog owners when they have an intact dog because I kind of drop a tr- truth bomb on them of like, yo, I know that this is your baby and you love your dog, but your dog's a savage and your dog's going to run through a wall to try to either kill another dog to get to a female or to get to a female <laughs> and tie that dog up. Or they're going to try to tie that female up and kill the female as they're trying to do what they need to do. I'm like, it's wild. Like, you don't even know. Like, you, you, you change your tone of that's your baby real quick once you see an intact male try to get to a female. You're like, oh, shit, this is like National Geographic type stuff. It's real deal. Yeah. Just like, you know, from a mating thing, but, you know, breeding, but it's also, um, it's just like their, their testosterone and their personality is like, again, like a 15 year old, like on a field trip, they're just trying to show off the whole time and they're the coolest dog ever and they never can get hurt. And it's like, it's a whole ball game, but yeah. All right, you guys, the end of the podcast is here and I'm going to answer your questions. And remember, if you guys have questions, head over to the iTunes review chart and I'll answer them next episode. First question comes from Breadman. Five-star review. Great show. Thank you. Hello. Love the show. I believe I've used the prong collar incorrectly with my eight-month-old puppy. I used to, I used it on walks and he quickly understood pressure and paid attention to me, stopped pulling and wasn't fixated on other dogs. But now that I've taken it off in walks, he acts like he's never been in a walk before. He knows it's off. So yeah, so I think we talked about this last episode too. So again, like guys, like I say this all the time, if you're using any type of tool, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're using food, if you're using a prong collar, if you use a harness, if you're using an e-collar. If you're not using the tool as reinforcements or enforcements and you're using it to make the dog do what we want or push the dog to do what we want, they're not going to know. And so if you're crutching on the e-collar or the prong collar to push and pull around, then the dog isn't going to actually be responsive to you when it's off and that's a problem. So you have to go back down to square one. You have to go back down to the basics to reintroduce the prong collar as an, as an enforcement versus a reinforcement. So if you tell a dog to sit and they sit, yay, good sit, that's reinforcement. You're encouraging them. And then if they don't, you're going to enforce the sit with maybe the prong collar. But a lot of people go out and they get really, they get really over uh, zealous, I guess, with the equipment and the equipment is what's dictating the relationship and the equipment is what's dictating the walk and that's that's where you're at that's where a lot of people get to uh they get to a point where the the equipment goes away you know again same thing with food food goes away the dog doesn't know it so it's just um it's just you know it's just not good it's not good foundation so you have to go back down to the beat oh basic obedience and if you're relying on your a lot of people in this state a lot of people in this situation um, they, they, they look like this. They're out for a walk. They're looking down at their dog constantly. They're snapping the leash. They're pop, 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 pop. They're really heavy on it. They stop. They ask a dog to sit and then they correct the dog. Anyway, they go sit, pull up on the collar. Boom. The dog goes into a sit. So don't do that. Your leash is your communication. Any single time that you put a little pressure on that collar, you're telling the dog that you want him to do something different, period. So if you're using that prong collar as as some sort of communication tool and you're constantly yanking on it and you're constantly using it and you're snapping it, it's not going to A, make sense when you need it and B, the dog is not going to understand what you're enforcing because it doesn't make any sense and it's not fair. The amount of t- I did it this weekend with my out-of-states. The amount of people that when you stop and you say sit and then you pop on the prong collar don't do that. You're correcting the dog and asking at the same exact time. And that's not good. 
at all. You don't want to do that. That's not fair. The dog will get frustrated. So a lot of people in your situation, J-Rod, do that. So you have to go back down to the basics and really reintroduce everything. Because if you introduce that prong collar, just like an e-collar or food or anything else, it's it's a shortcut if you don't use it right. Again, like you take a piece of food out and you lure a dog into a sit, they don't know sit. Same thing with if you take a piece of, if you take a prong collar out and you pull up on a dog and they sit, they don't know sit. You're not giving them an opportunity to understand what you're asking. So um, just go back down to the basics, my friend. Next one comes from Breadman. <clears throat> Hello, I love the show. I believe I've used your, oh, nope. Next, the next one is Ashley Berent. Ashley Berent. I'd be lost without Tom. Five star review. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that I found this company around the time we bought our field lab home. Listening to the way Tom handles dogs makes it easier to replicate in his tone and timing. I just want to say that my field lab has more drive and energy than I can ever possibly be prepared for. Labs are a classic good dog, but I don't think enough people are aware that the hunting lab is in the same category as a GSP. My question is, is do you think using the pager and vibrate on a dog chair is appropriate when he jumps on counter surf? Yes. It could be, um, for sure. If it's a consistent thing that your dog is doing and, and obviously causing stress and could potentially be dangerous, then yes. My dog loses his mind at food. Um, uh, we are working on the place command. People jump right on the counter. Yeah. Uh, I would also just put him on a put him on a, a leash and a collar to also work on that as well. Um, he's extremely confident, and I'm not worried about anything taking his confidence away. Uh, what about the higher levels of stim use and punishment? His conditioning levels are 6 and 10, depending on the environment. Yeah, I would just use the pager. Um, that's going to be the best thing to do market with like a off. Uh, and that would be really helpful. The dog's already conditioned to the e-collar. So they know where it's coming from. So it's fair. Your dog's a very confident, pushy working dog that just wants to take everything off the counter. So it's, again, it's fair. Uh, it's not like a dog that's, you know, barking very fearfully at a stranger coming into the house. And then we're, we're correcting them because that could make things worse. This is, this is a fair, fair correction for the e-collar. So I would say, yeah, you're good. All right, next one comes from Jenna Iden. Uh, five-star review, thank you. Love Tom's and his training wisdom. Tom, you are the real deal. I'm a third-time GDD owner. The first two lived to be 12 and 13, respectively. My latest is two years old and solid black working German Shepherd. Uh, getting through the first line of training was rough, but then I found your podcast and YouTube channel. Jonah is still intact in two years, and he's doing well thanks to your training techniques, balance, philosophy. Love what you do and your wealth of information. Thank you so much. I appreciate that very much. Next one, dog and cat, lunch at my parents. That's what the person's username is. Is it is if your dog wants to play with your cat, but your cat gets scared to come out and the dog and your grandma's dog, so you rarely see her. Uh, I think it's about, I, I don't really know that this is, ex- I'm going to read this question exactly back to see if I can make sense of it again, is if your dog wants to play with your cat, but your cat is scared to come out, but the dog is your, is you grandma's dog, so you rarely see her. I'm not under, I'm not understanding what you're putting out, my friend. Um, I don't know, I don't. I don't know. Can can maybe you do that again for me? I'm trying to figure that out, and I can't. Uh, next one comes from Bell's Dog Training. New business and gaining clientele. Five-star review. All the podcasts from July were fantastic. I learned a lot from them. I had a question about building up clientele and advertising. I live in a small town and had a few training sessions there, and 
here and there and wanting to grow it. I do teach the dog 4-H and has helped advertise my business and vet places help advertise, but do you have any suggestions that I should focus on or things that I should avoid? My goal is to be able to have it as a full-time job in the future. Thanks for everything you do, Tom. It's a, it's brilliant and it's taught me a lot about myself and a person understanding dogs. Thank you. Uh, I would say, you know, obviously social media is a great opportunity. Um, you know, back in the day, it would be like, um, you know, you would advertise on TV or you'd advertise on newspapers or local weekly papers, radio, etc. But the way that we have social media now, you can pretty much make an ad for anything that you want. It could be a poster, it could be a logo, it could be a video, and then you can boost it locally. So I would suggest right now, to be honest with you, like um, the best thing to do is, you know, word of mouth has been really important for me. Um, you know, when we first started off with working with dogs in general, uh, word of mouth was huge. Um, pretty much everybody, um, you know, that we were working with at the time had been referrals and that was really amazing. So my suggestion is, uh, to, to, to continue to just, you know, do your thing and, and people will, will refer you to other people because that's how, that's how like I grew my career organically. That's how I continue to grow my career. Uh, somebody has, somebody watches my videos or sees a, sees a video of mine or a podcast and they're like, Hey, you should go listen to this. You should go watch this. So that's, um, that's been really helpful. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, you can go on Facebook and pretty much target market literally your neighbor if you want and bombard them with, with, advertising. Um, and it's, it's, it's not that hard. Um, it used to be a lot easier, uh, but now it's a little bit more in depth with like the business suites and stuff. But honestly, that'd be my suggestion is just do spend a little money on some ads, you know, even like five bucks a day, just kind of boosting some, some videos that you've done and just target locally. Like we don't target really anything. Cause we're, you know, we're, I don't know. We just, we don't target locally. Cause we're like a, like a media company at this point. Like we're, we're advertising and our, our, our content, you know, not our services. It kind of goes hand in hand, but you get the idea. So anyway, I hope that's helpful. Um, I think, uh, I think it, that's the best route to go, to be honest, is just local advertising on Facebook and stuff. And then just going out downtown. I just had a podcast with Larry Crone, uh, should be out sometime this week, maybe, um, maybe definitely next week. But, um, one of the things that he did is he went to, he just went downtown and started working his dog and people were like, wow, how'd you do that? And he gave him cards and information. So you do it the old fashioned way too, and just go out there and have a well-trained dog. You'd be surprised. Like when I bring Lakota downtown to any city, people are unbelievably like enamored with a trained dog. Like she's downing and people are walking by and she's like, holy crap. And it's like this whole thing. So it's the people are just, they've, they're not used to a trained dog. So if you have a demo dog, you could go out and, you know, drum up a lot of conversations with some people just by having a trained dog. So that's another good recommendation. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you a lot and I'll talk to you next time. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.